Hello and welcome to the program. Today we'll be talking about the situation in Northern Ireland. In December, the representatives from Great Britain and Ireland signed a declaration of principles to work toward peace in the region. Today we'll talk about that possibility with our guest, Father Sean McManus, who founded the Irish National Caucus in Washington. It lobbies for justice and peace in Northern Ireland. Father McManus was born in Northern Ireland. Also joining us is Jamie Detmer, Washington correspondent for the Irish Sunday Independent and the Scotland on Sunday publications. He was born in England and has written extensively on Northern Ireland. Also with us is Maureen Merker, president of the Ulster Scott Society, a genealogical historical society in the U.S. She was raised in Northern Ireland but has lived in the U.S. for 30 years. Welcome to you all. Thank you. In just a few minutes, we'll be taking questions from our audience of high school students who are, who are in Washington this week on Close-Up's Government Studies program. And when we come to you, we'd like you to tell us your name and where you're from. But first, we'll begin with a discussion up here about the history of conflict in Northern Ireland. We hear that this has been going on for quite a while. How did it begin and why? Father McManus? Well, it has its roots, um, like many other problems in the world, it has its roots in uh, English. British colonialism. Uh, Ireland was England's very first colony. It was in Ireland that uh, the British experimented and learned the techniques of racism, uh, discrimination, oppression that they took to America, don't forget, to your country. They took it to India, they took it to the Mideast, they took it all over the world. And wherever the British flag has flown all over the world. There has been racism and discrimination and oppression. After all, that's why you Americans kicked the British out of this country. When did the conflict there begin and what Well, the British, in one form or another, first got a, a foothold in Ireland in 1169. So that's a long time ago, folks. Uh, it's been almost a thousand years. And up until 1920, the British government controlled all of Ireland. And the centre of, of British administration in Ireland, this is very important, was not in Belfast, but in Dublin. And for centuries, England ruled Ireland from Dublin as one economic, geographic, political, cultural entity. And then in the 1916-1920 era, when Britain realised they could no longer hold all of the country, as they had for centuries, they retreated into the northeast corner, the part of Ireland I'm from, uh, and they carved out a little area there of six tiny counties. Tiny little area uh, out of the whole of Ireland. Because they knew that in those six counties, there were a million pro-British people, a million Protestants, who happened to be Protestants, to a half a million Catholic who were nationalists. And the deal was, Britain said, look to the Protestants of Northern Ireland, we'll set you up here in this new artificial entity that had never been heard of before in all of a thousand years of history. We'll set you up here in a position of power, run this area any way you like, as long as you keep it loyal to the crown, as long as you keep it to the empire. I think I've got to interrupt there because I think By that's the most means. prejudiced uh, uh, interpretation of the history of the last four or five hundred years in Ireland. First of all, in terms of the setting up of Northern Ireland and the six counties, um, 
you, you, you're suggesting that it was a kind of scheme in London whereby London decided they will carve out this area as their own. They didn't really have much choice. As you well know, in the 19th century, there was tremendous resistance from Protestants in Northern Ireland who, had, uh, who originally came from uh, Scotland, I agree, in the 16th, 17th century, who had lived there for a long time. And you know perfectly well that uh, in the early part of the 20th century, it was made clear that Protestants would resist by force of arms being pushed into yeah. a, a, uh, a republic government uh, uh, into one country uh, with the Catholics in the south. And it was clear that the British government could not even rely on the British army in Northern Ireland to resist um, uh, Protestants resisting all that. So, I mean, it, it, it isn't the case that the British government sat there and decided to carve out this nice little enclave. But they did. They did by an act of the British Parliament. Now, we can get into motives and interpretations. Accepted, uh, yeah, but an act which was but accepted was the by British the Dublin government. government. It was the British government, by the Act of Ireland of 1920, that carved out and created that artificial entity. It wasn't the Protestants of Northern Ireland. It, it was wasn't the, the Catholics. Me, but the Republic of Ireland seceded from the United Kingdom <laughs> in 1921. Northern Ireland has been an integral part of the United Kingdom since 1803, almost as long as the United States has been a nation. I think we have a very different interpretation of this, and I would like to give you just a, a very brief uh, background of uh, Northern Ireland. Let me say in the British Isles there are two nations. There is the United Kingdom and the Republic of Ireland. The United Kingdom consists of Scotland, England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. We have a unitary form of government, and our government is at Westminster in London. The Republic of Ireland seceded from the United Kingdom in 1921. Northern Ireland has uh, an area of 5,400 square miles a population of 1.6 million, and it was a haven for religious dissenters. And much like the United States, uh, there's a large Huguenot population in Northern Ireland. They came after the revocation of the Edict of Nantes. They were a, they're a wonderful group. They improved the linen industry, and you've all seen beautiful uh, Irish linen. The Moravians came to Northern Ireland. They were Palatine Germans. And they built a most beautiful village called Grace Hill. And Grace Hill is almost identical to Salem in North Carolina. Then we have Quakers who were chased out of England at that time. And they built a beautiful village called Bessbrook. Now, the... Um, and what about the Catholics, Maureen? Say a few words about the Catholics. Well, they're, they're there. really... In, because we also live there, you know. Fine. In 1600... Uh, in th and three, Else, Northern Ireland was a separate kingdom right up until that time. And let me tell you something, I'm sorry I don't have a map that I but own. The but it the was, there was nobody in Ulster, hardly anyone except around the borders. So almost everyone who is there today are immigrants to Ulster. I actually, Be they Irish, uh, where, no matter where they come from, Maureen, they are but, primarily but Where does immigrants. this get us today? I mean, these okay. poor people must be totally confused about this sudden eruption of different interpretations of 400 years of well, Irish history. No, hold this on. is something no, that is on. not... I gave the very clear interpretation. I'll bring you right up. 
I didn't agree. It's going great until he interrupted and well, confused well, but, it. Until... Well, I mean, one of the problems of the whole conflict is that the Irish and the British have very long memories and there are a lot of grievances and we're in a, a cycle, if you want, almost of, uh, of revenge and grievances uh, and remembered oppressions. We now have a situation where we've had a, a, a conflict, a, a low insurgency conflict in Northern Ireland for 25 years. We have over 3,000 people dead and... There are attempts, you know, there are attempts by various sides to try to find a way to end this conflict, and it isn't that helpful by going back to the okay. Edict of Nantes. Ending it is important. Going back to okay. the 15th or 16th century. No. Let's discuss that how That was to end the 17th it. century the and the 18th thing. century. Uh, but in the Republic. Yes, but hold on. But it is, it, but it is important. <laughs> well, let's discuss how to end it. It is important to get to contemporary times. Okay. I mean, as the, as the Irish Taoiseach, uh, the Premier Albert Reynolds, said in a speech in January. Most people would accept that the partition was wrong, was ineffective, was unhelpful. But well, two wrongs... But, but you on, didn't agree with that on. at the beginning. But, but, no, you I, disagreed. No, I, I wasn't arguing a moral position yeah. about that. I was, I was, I was just I was trying to, you know, touch, touch, you know, uh, the yeah. tiller slightly. Yeah. Um, that that uh, two wrongs don't make a right. That I didn't part, say that. You know, that partition look, is not helpful. So what we've got to discuss today here, and what I think will be yeah. far more helpful for uh, the close-up foundation students, We've we got tried to, to find out how we yes. unravel the problem. And the most important well, thing we can discuss in any problem is who is in charge, who controls. If you go into any city, any town, and, and there's a problem, your first question must be, who's in charge here? Who's in control? Who writes the law? Who controls the courts and the police? Who controls all of that in Northern Ireland? Not and the also, Catholics, who controls not that the in the Republic of Ireland? The let London me, government. Let, let me tell you that when in the Republic of Ireland drafted its constitution in 1937, in Articles 2 and 3 of their constitution, they claim the whole island of Ireland. But more and there has, excuse me, there has been troubles ever since that. Let me also but say Maureen, hold on, that hold on a second, hold even on a though second. there, were, Maureen, there the, are recognised international <laughs> boundaries there are recognised international boundaries between what is today's Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Let's go to our first student questions and get you involved. Go ahead. Uh, my question is directed at any of you. My name is Dan Howard from St. Louis Park, Minnesota. And uh, how do you believe that the portrayal of the IRA in recent movies has affected people's views about this conflict? Do you have any views on that? Have you seen some of the movies or do you have any opinions on the portrayal of the IRA? Um, I've seen Patriot Games and it seems as though they've, they portray them as a bunch of terrorists just out, just out for blood. Uh, I find uh, most of the Hollywood movies uh, concerning the IRA and paramilitarism in Northern Ireland, whether it's pro-IRA or anti-IRA, singularly unhelpful and generally ill-informed as well. Uh, Patriot Games actually annoyed me as well. Uh, I mean, the idea, um, you know, the IRA tries to project itself as a, as a disciplined body. To a certain extent it is. Uh, it doesn't control all its uh, members uh, that easily or that well sometimes. Um, I think that we have got to try to keep much closer to the facts in those movies than we do. There's been a film very recently uh, concerning the um, Gulfa bombers. Um, the alleged. Uh, yeah, sorry. Falsely accused. Yes, I yeah, absolutely. That was the point of the movie, yeah. Um, where, as I understand it, various facts are changed, um, and I think that's probably unhelpful. Uh, it, it doesn't help people understand the situation in Northern well, Ireland. Well, can I say something on that? Obviously, it was a movie. It wasn't meant to be a historical uh, do documentary. It was a movie. It was made in Hollywood. Okay. But I think it has done a number of things. It has made it very clear to American people 
that British law, when it comes to Northern Ireland, is not normal, that civil liberties are suspended, that there's no, um, there's no justice, and that if you're Irish from Northern Ireland and living in England, you're an accused of a crime, you will not get justice, and you'll live in prison for years. It has done that, and, and not only, you know, the, the, one of the characters, Jerry Conlon was the star, the main person, and Paul Hill featured in that movie. And Paul Hill now, who's now married to Courtney Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy's daughter, Paul Hill today, as we speak, is still being victimized by a British court in Northern Ireland. They're still trying to pin a false confession on him. Uh, and I, I think it's very important, what everyone's interpretation of the problem in Ireland to understand is that the rights you people here from Minnesota and California, the basic rights you take for granted, we have never experienced them in Northern Ireland. You have no right to a jury trial. You have no right to privacy. A coerced confession no, is admissible are no jury as trials. evidence. There are no jury trials in You wouldn't in tolerate case for a split second what the ordinary people in Northern but Ireland have to stand for. You have to give a slightly broader picture because, as you, uh, you know, as you know uh, there's a kind of dynamic, a dynamic that no one is in control of or has, no one has yeah. full control over in Northern Ireland. And I will be the first to agree with you that there has been a tremendous corrosion and corruption of the British judicial system well, and particularly... That's hold that's on, hold on, no, well, hold on, Father McManus, you've got to give yeah. a broader picture than that and in Northern Ireland. Um, a lot of the uh, changes in the law in, in Northern Ireland, having non-jury trials, was in one way, as you well know, provoked by terrorism. And the problem is, that if you're a terrorist organization, you're trying... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Terrorism is the reason that they have what is called diplock courts. And it's, they just have one judge because there is intimidation of juries. And I know I would not be very happy to sit on a jury where some, a terrorist was being tried. And this, is why, this was why these courts were invented. If there is an appeal, then there are three judges. Uh, and, but then again, you cannot have uh, jury trials for these terrorists. The dynamic There's in Northern too much Ireland intimidation. On, on, on the judicial side is this, that it is, to the inter it is in the interest of the IRA. Uh, to provoke a reaction and a liberal, harsh reaction from a democratic government. And who's the democratic on, government? Father McManus, there has why? never been a democratic government ruling Ireland ever in centuries. The English government is not a democratic government in Northern Ireland. I'm it sorry, has Father never McManus. been a democratic. Uh, who has elected John Major? to be in Father, charge of Northern Ireland. Father McManus, you're trying to suggest... Who that has elected John Father McManus, we're not, we're not talking Father about... McManus we're not talking about the Gaza, and we're not talking about... So, hold on, please, Maureen. It's not. It's, there's, there is a Republic of Ireland and the United Kingdom, and Northern Ireland is an integral part of that United Kingdom, no as I told you Northern before. Ireland. Excuse me, I'm going to have to say, we'll have to have you speak one at a time, okay. because we All can't right. hear what each person okay. is saying. All right. Excuse Let's me. go to our next question. <laughs> Hi, my name is Nicole Alvino and I'm from Orange County, California. And I have a question that can be directed to any of you. I know that there are um, Great Britain troops stationed in Northern Ireland and I want to know how you view these troops and if they could be seen as the first step to a possible resolution. The, the, I would like to answer that. And the 
troops are United Kingdom troops and they are in the United Kingdom. It would be the equivalent of the United States troops being in California. Uh, they are there because of terrorism and otherwise they would not need to be there. Remember also that uh, there are many Ulster regiments in the British Army and they have had a wonderful, wonderful um, reputation for leading the United Kingdom through many wars. Most of their field marshals in the British Army have been Ulstermen and you know their names like Montgomery and Alexander, etc. So the fact that the British Army is in the United Kingdom is where it should be. It is not in Ireland and has not been in Ireland. Can I respond to that? I'm, as you can tell, by my accent, does it sound as if I'm English or British, eh? Wouldn't you say, by any definition, I'm an Irish guy? Okay. I'm an Irish man from County Fermanagh. Ireland is a partitioned country. 26 counties are controlled by the Dublin government, and the remaining six are still under the rule of the London government. And since 1972, there's no government in, in Northern Ireland. London rules directly. Now, the Protestants of Northern Ireland maintain that's undemocratic, and the Catholics doubly maintain it's undemocratic. The experiment of the London government has never worked in Ireland. It has been a disaster for its own good name. It's a disaster for the Protestants and Catholics. And what I want to see uh, is the Protestants realizing that the British game in Ireland is over. It's truly over. London doesn't want them. London used them for centuries in their own colonial interest. But if Maureen had gone to London, uh, like I did, or to England, and had more Protestants gone to live in England, they would have realized that the moment they're in England, they're Biddy or Paddy. Doesn't matter whether they're, whether they're a Protestant or a Catholic. And until the Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland realize that they themselves somehow have to work out this new solution or a new future. London hasn't got the answer. London, Britain has given up all its empire. It's only left with two areas, the Malvinas, the Falkland Islands, and Northern Ireland. They're getting out of Hong Kong, not because uh, the majority wants them to leave. In fact, the majority in Hong Kong wants British rule to continue. There's eight million people in Hong Kong. There's only a million people in Northern Ireland who well, want the British to leave. McManus, I mean, the impression you're giving these people is inaccurate. You're talking about a colonial situation. You have a majority of people in Northern Ireland who wish to retain their link with Britain. They have a vote. There is a vote in Northern Ireland. There is a ballot box. We're not talking about a colony where people do not have a vote. 65% of the Northern Ireland population vote for parties regularly in elections, uh, parties which wish to retain the link with Great Britain. Why do we uh, have a problem? Uh, we have why a is problem. there a problem We have now? a problem because we have, uh, we have a paramilitary organisation well, we have more than one paramilitary organization, but finally the problem is because you have an IRA who wish to bomb and oh, shoot people into the that's South. That's nonsense. But, uh, well, that's a part of the problem. Now, let me okay. tell you what I think on that. <coughs> the IRA is definitely a problem, a major problem, and they use violence. And I don't dis diminish or dismiss that for one minute. Do you condemn No, absolutely. Do you condemn or condemn it? I condemn it outright unequivocally, and I condemn all violence, whether it's the IRA, the British, the Loyalist terror gangs, whatever terror gang is operating in or out of uniform. And, and the solution must uh, lie in nonviolence. But let me point out here 
that in 1968, 1969, there was a peaceful, non-violent movement, a civil rights movement. There was no IRA. Where did the IRA come from? Because the British Army came well, in and started IRA, crushing. It was a, small, it was a, it was a marginalized the group. The IRA is more of a symptom than a cause. The cause is injustice. The cause is that Ireland has never been given a chance to be a free I country. I think the underlying cause of the IRA, regardless of what they might say, is the fact that their goal is a united Ireland, as is the goal of the Republic of Ireland. And this is one of the, well, the, the very great problems that we have. The, good morning, you uh, would accept the, that... Uh, the Republic of Ireland, uh, let me also say, signed both the Helsinki Agreement and the European Communities Treaty of Rome in 1976. And they are in violation of both of those treaties. The Irish government has made it perfectly clear that they will get rid of Articles 2 and 3, which they claim to Northern Ireland. And in a recent opinion poll in the Irish Times, 81% of uh, the population indicated, or, or it, it suggested that 81% of the population of the South would agree to give up their claim to Northern Ireland. Well, this has been, but for all these years, this has been one of the problems since 1937, this false claim to the territory well, of Northern Ireland. I'm sorry to go back into history, but the Anglo-Irish Treaty signed between London and Dublin agreed that the essential uh, long-term aim was a unity of the island. So, I mean, they hadn't done anything no, extraordinary. They 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 had, no, I'm sorry, no. it's in the treaty in 1921. And so the, the South had not done anything extraordinary by having Articles 2 and 3 oh, in the absolutely Constitution. absolutely, they did. That's, that is... Student question. That is a... Um, Hi, my name is Jennifer Eilts from St. Paul, Minnesota. And my question for any one of you is how come the media has forgotten about the situation in Ireland? I have a saying I'm that had, had the communists been doing in Northern Ireland what Her Majesty's government have, has been doing, we would have been free long ago. But because the oppressor in Northern Ireland is England, America, the American government, and the American media turns a blind eye. Can I ask you... Uh, in general. Can I ask uh, you, when you say the media, do you mean the American media or, or the British media? American. I mean, I think at times that they, uh, I mean, in the 1970s, there was certainly a great deal of coverage in the American media about the problems in Northern Ireland. I think that, uh, as in Britain, uh, people get bored, actually. I think readers and you people out there get bored and don't want to hear about the, the problem again and again. It's been running so long. The Guardian newspaper, I mean, the, uh, the British media, you know, obviously covers this, uh, this conflict in detail, uh, as the Irish media does as well. But uh, the Guardian newspaper, which uh, in London, which has a very political kind of readership, did a survey of its readers and asked them, what, are your, uh, what stories do you like reading about? What subjects are you most interested in? Which subjects don't you want to know about particularly or, or f you're fed up reading about? And Northern Ireland, I'm afraid, came absolutely bottom, even a very political readership. But in America, um, I think it's sad that, Ameri uh, that the major American newspapers have not had full-time correspondence mm -hmm. in Ireland for a long time. The New York Times has one in Dublin. Um, the others send people out every now and again. And I think the problem with that is that you get ill-informed. Uh, Ill and I, thought, I think we saw that in the uh, Jerry Adams visit uh, last month, uh, when some of the American coverage was quite extraordinary. There was a great deal of misrepresent misrepresentation of facts in the American coverage, uh, which irritated not only British tabloids in London, uh, but also Irish government politicians as well. Next question. Hello, my name is Owen Rivas from Centerfell, California, and my question is directed to uh, Father Sean. 
um, this conflict has been going on for centuries. Do you see an end to long-standing aggression, and how will uh, Catholics and Protestants react once it ends? Well, I would have to say that uh, for the first time in, in my short or long life, long life, to you guys, long life, uh, but for the first time in my life, I am beginning to be hopeful. Um, I, I don't know how it's going to play out, but I, I, I do believe that right now in Ireland at the moment, there's a new dynamic, uh, which wasn't there before. Uh, th there's a new potential that hopefully will, will bring about some sort of a, a solution. And number one, however you analyze the problem in, in Ireland or Northern Ireland, a compromise has to be an essential part. Uh, because as been as said here, there's a million Protestants in Northern Ireland. I was lived in, I was reared among them. There's a half a million Catholics. There's a split allegiance. And, and there's, a real, there's a real problem. It has, that has been confounded by the fact that for many years the Dublin government and the London government haven't done the right thing. But right now, um, I'm inclined to think wow. that the London government uh, uh, and the Dublin government are beginning maybe to try to do the right thing. And I would say that for the first time the Dublin government, I think, uh, uh, I've always been very critical of the Dublin government, but right now I think this, uh, the present leader, the Taoiseach as he's called, uh, Albert Reynolds seems to be genuinely and openly and sincerely trying to reach out to get everybody involved in a solution. So I think, for the first time ever, I'm hopeful. I'm, uh, one, could I please uh, answer a question to you and tell you that there is uh, hope in Northern Ireland. For example, in Northern Ireland we have two school systems. There's the state schools and there are Roman Catholic parochial schools. And this is a sad situation in that the children do not get to meet each other. They mature without any cross-cultural uh, intervention. But in um, fairly recently, uh, parents themselves, who are very distressed about this, have initiated a an integrated school system and I think there are now 21 schools and 6,000 children are going to these schools and I feel that this is a, a great step forward and hopefully there will be more of them. I'm, I'm uh, pessimistic about the future of peace and this particular peace initiative for a, a number of reasons. Uh, one, Maureen was talking about integrated education, in fact only one percent of Northern Ireland children are educated in uh, integrated schools and that's after a tremendous effort for the last 20 years. Uh, the chasms between the two communities I think is wider. Uh, the statistics show that there are less and less people living in truly mixed areas. Um, voting districts are now you know almost totally either Protestant or Catholic. There are, another, uh, there are a number of obstacles to peace in Northern Ireland. One is you have got to find a form of words which will satisfy nationalist desires of the minority and the majority wish to remain linked, tied to Britain. And no form of words has yet been constructed that can do that. There have been various attempts and various solutions tried and proposed. Uh, the second thing that worries me is the rise of um, far more effective and far more deadly Protestant paramilitary groups in Northern Ireland, like the Ulster Volunteer Force and the Ulster Defence Association. Um, in about the 1985-86 onwards, there were, uh, slowly you could see a new leadership come uh, um, uh, taking control of these
paramilitary units, and they have become far more effective, far more deadly, and they're far better armed. Uh, the, third, uh, the third major obstacle is how far is the IRA prepared to compromise? And I suspect they're not prepared to compromise very much. On uh, Saturday, uh, Jerry Adams made a speech at the annual conference of Sinn Féin, the Ardèche, where he said um, that uh, Republicans would have to prepare for a another phase, adapt to a new phase in the conflict to achieve Republican goals, and he put that at two or three years. I'm not too sure that Jerry Adams, even if he is a dove, as some uh, suggest he is, can deliver the IRA on a compromised agreement. Um, there is one other obstacle, and that is in the House of Commons, that John Major, the British Prime Minister, has a very, uh, has a very slim majority and has very little room for manoeuvre. He is not lord of all he surveys in the Conservative Party. He has a rump of about 60 right-wing, rebellious, fractious MPs who are very anti-the uh, uh, European community, for example. And in the summer, John Major had to turn to support to the Ulster Unionist MPs in the House of Commons. He cannot afford to alienate those MPs uh, if he wishes to re retain control of the Conservative Party in Parliament or get through European legislation. So I am very worried, and one of my worries is that Northern Ireland may be worse off after this peace process if it collapses badly than it was before. Let's go to our next question. Hi, my name is Mark Cordor from uh, Huntington Beach, California, and I was wondering, um, you might not agree with me, but it seems to me that this struggle in Northern Ireland is very similar to that of uh, the Palestinians and Israelites in Israel on the West Bank. And so I was wondering, do you think that the UN should step in and maybe help mediate this uh, struggle that's going on? That's a good I don't question. Think there's, there's, oh. there's, it's completely different in that the Palestinian um, land was taken from them to form the State of Israel and the Palestinians are landless. The uh, Republic of Ireland uh, seceded from the United Kingdom and uh, they have a, their own state. They are, they are a sovereign state. Um, Northern Ireland is, they have, um, the, Father McManus said there is no government in Northern Ireland. There's no government in Scotland, Wales or England either because it is a unitary form of government. And the seat of government, as I mentioned before, is at Westminster. And um, they, each, each state sends, or each kingdom, sends their representatives to that British Parliament. And they're all British. Maureen doesn't realize that she has misstated the position of the party she supports in Northern Ireland, the Unionist Party, because the Unionist Party and John Molyneux insists that there should be a local government in Northern Ireland. At the present, uh, there is not, however. Yes. So I did not misstate it. Um, and, and they want that change. Uh, it, no, Mr. Reference. Molyneux does not want well, a, a we, government. He, he wants local government. A local government. Yes. They want local government strengthened, yeah. as in Scotland, Wales, they want a parliament and in England, Ireland. and Eng they do not. In England, they, um, they, don't? they have local government, they have county government, city Maureen, governments, I mean, no, town governments, and they policy. want to... And they want, excuse me, and they wish, wish to have uh, a stronger local government. They used to have an assembly, but they don't anymore. They haven't Can had I one say really since 1972. I would welcome UN involvement. I would welcome any outside catalyst because I believe left to the triangle of Belfast, Dublin, London, 
there's going to be no solution. And we have 70 years of proof. I believe the UN can play an important role. I believe America can play a key role. That's why we want President Clinton to fulfill his promise and appoint a special envoy to Northern Ireland, because an outside catalyst can focus the minds of the people there. It can focus the minds of the international community. It can come as an honest broker. And Dublin and Belfast and London have clearly given lots of proof that they cannot solve it themselves. They, we need outside help. But they can't the be, the so, problem sorry. can be solved, and it can be solved by the terrorists. If the IRA will lay down their arms, I, as I understand it, the uh, loyalists said they will lay theirs down also. So I, it's a terror campaign. I mean, the question is about whether the UN can help. I'm not too sure they can. Uh, uh, President Clinton himself was saying, and this has been American administration policy since Jimmy Carter, that the solution has to come from the people in Northern Ireland and in the island of Ireland. Um, an honest broker, well, I think the British government and the Irish governments at the moment are desperately trying to be honest brokers and desperately trying to find a, uh, a, a solution that can satisfy, that can satisfy um, uh, one, I was about to say both groups, but in fact we're confronted by more than two groups in Northern Ireland. Um, I think that one has to allow this peace process to go ahead, even though I'm pessimistic about it. I think it, it will be a very fragile process. But one thing that has been clear over the last 25 years, that after each of one of these periods of negotiations, uh, there has been almost a high watermark. There has been certain agreements made, um, and there's been no retreat from those, those agreements or those acceptances uh, of, of certain principles. And so maybe we're looking at a situation where we're going to get the water rising, moving down again, and then flowing up further. Um, but I think that outside um, intervention or interference is not going to help. I think it will provoke more violence in Northern Ireland. I but you see, I, this what is concerns me about um, uh, people who essentially uh, support the British position in Northern Ireland. Uh, they have a double standard for everything. Uh, uh, the, the United Nations has a, an important role, they'll say, all over the world. America has an important role all over the world. The international human rights community has an important uh, role all over the world except one place, Northern Ireland. Thou shalt not touch Northern Ireland because you'll make matters worse. That is a false logic and I submit a very suspect logic because the bottom line is there is that look, Outside interference or attention will embarrass whom? Haha, <laughs> Her Majesty's government. And anything that embarrasses Her Majesty's government is taboo. And that's the basic problem. I'm saying it's time for America to apply a single, not a double standard to human rights. If discrimination in South Africa is wrong, and it most surely is, then it's equally wrong in Northern Ireland. If the torture of prisoners and the misuse of people in Chile or any place else is abhorrent to the US Congress, then the same violations of human rights in Northern Ireland must be equally abhorrent. It's time for America to take a stand and do the right thing on this issue. One thing I would like to say is that having lived in Vietnam for five years and having observed the United Nations, uh, and as we see the United Nations in Bosnia and in, um, in Mogadishu, etc., they do not play a very good role in, uh, in any country that I have seen them been in. And it's very important that since the United Kingdom is a democratic society, they must solve their own problems. 
President Clinton cannot send a, um, a representative unless he is invited to do so. And that is common courtesy between sovereign states. Let's go to our next question. Carmela Delanis from Burbank, California, and this question is directed to everyone. I was just wondering how the economic, how the country's economic standard is um, being suffered by, because of this conflict. In Northern Ireland, uh, in some ways, it may be better off from this conflict, ironically. Um, uh, Britain subsidised Northern Ireland to the tune of about $4.5 billion a year. Uh, there's been a tremendous uh, effort to try to develop uh, the economy in Northern Ireland. Um, one of the things that Father McManus probably won't accept, uh, but it is the case that most, uh, I would think, virtually every Dublin politician would accept, is if you have a majority, uh, if you have Northern Ireland forced into a unity with the South, um, and you force that majority to become part of uh, the South, there's going to be tremendous economic problems for the Irish Republic, actually. Uh, it's a fragile economy. Uh, they will have tremendous costs in fighting off probably Protestant paramilitaries who don't want to be part of the Irish Republic. Um, but in the North, uh, there's obviously, I mean, I was partly, uh, not being totally frivolous about Northern Ireland probably being better off in the conflict, because there are obviously areas of, uh, uh, the, the areas of the economy that can't be developed because of this fighting. Like, you know, tourism would probably be better off in Northern Ireland if there wasn't a conflict. But there has been a, a tremendous amount of money pumped into Northern Ireland uh, over the years by the British government. Well, I'm, I'm afraid, while, while I see some points in that, I'm, 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 I'm afraid it's a very, um, it's a very negative, uh, cynical uh, attitude. Uh, look, Nor Ireland is, is, is destroyed by political instability and by violence and by injustice and oppression. Consequently, consequently, the economy is a basket case. In, in, in a terrible situation, and wherever, Ireland, I'm speaking for the whole island, it's <laughs> a, a destabilized economy, north and south, and obviously one doesn't have to be an economic genius to know that a stable society is good for the economy. Let um, me say, people <laughs> prosper in a stable society, yeah. in a just society. As an agrarian society, and they do not have very much industry. Northern Ireland, to the contrary, has, contrary, has always been a very industrially deve developed uh, nation. Used to be. They have, not any uh, they have, they, you know, they had the largest shipbuilding works in the world. They have, they do. During the they, war, they, they had. They have not also, any longer. Harland and Wolf they, is not the largest shipbuilding not country. Anymore, not it since has, the it was last heavily war. Heavily industrial, just like. And in every society, you, we all need a Detroit. We need heavy industry for uh, wealth. There's no heavy and so industry. Ulster, has, Northern Ireland has always Where's been heavy industry, much Maureen? more uh, industrial than Maureen. the Republic. Where is the, the heavy The Republic industry? of Ireland's economy today is that of a third world nation. And it couldn't exist except for the funds it receives from the European community. Maureen, but your impression of the Irish Republic, uh, Republic's economy is extraordinary. They get, uh, is eight, it? they get 12 Maureen, may I just reply? Maureen, yes, may I reply? Yes. In the last 15-20 uh, years, there have been tremendous strides in, in, in the Republic over its economy. Yes, but it's um, small. It, of course it's small. It's a small country. It's three and a half million people. Right. Father McManus, may I ask yes. you something, though? Why, if, uh, I mean, I, I would assume that you would want the economies of Northern Ireland and the Republic to uh, thrive. Can I ask you why you then oppose and try to prevent 
American investment in Northern Ireland. Uh, I do example, not oppose. Of course you did in 1986. I do not in oppose. You asked me a question. Now let me answer it. You asked me a question. Yes. Why do I oppose American investment? I most assuredly do not oppose American investment. I promote and I favour American investment. In 1984, the Irish National Caucus launched the McBride Principles, which is an affirmative action code of conduct, a fair employment code of conduct for American companies doing business in Northern Ireland. We want American investment, but we want American firms to be fair in their employment, to take a stand against the systematic, endemic, anti-Catholic discrimination in Northern Ireland. And that has, since 1984, uh, McBride has been passed by 14 states into law and over 50 cities and it has been the most effective uh, campaign ever against anti-Catholic discrimination in Northern Ireland. And all experts would agree that it was the McBride campaign more than anything else that prompted the British government to move on discrimination, prompted the 1989 Fair Employment Act. I would partly accept that, and uh, it's an interesting area. But, for example, in 1986, uh, the uh, Shorts factory in Northern Ireland, about the biggest employer in Northern Ireland, secured a contract from American, uh, an American firm, which uh, John Hume, nationalist MP, head of the Social Democratic and Labour Party in Northern Ireland, helped secure and you try to sabotage that. Now, as you well know, fair employment legislation was brought in by the British in 1976 and uh, again in 1989. And I would agree with you that it has been useful for uh, people to campaign and say uh, employment practices in Northern Ireland must be improved on both sides of the community because yeah, there's discrimination on both sides I of the community. But it strikes me that uh, a lot of your campaigning and a lot of your lobbying has actually been unhelpful and it's the view of the Irish government and it's the view of John Hume and it's the view also of the four main church leaders in Northern Ireland who agreed a call for fair employment uh, very recently. Uh, and a what call, did they say about the call, McBride principles? A call which is endorsed by John Major uh, and, a call, and by the Irish National uh, Caucus. Call, I endorsed call, it. Well, I endorsed that's that. Fine. No. So, so, so I you're not in disagreement with the British government or John Major, who are making as much strides as they can <laughs> in to this the particular practices no, in Northern look, Ireland? Uh, what, what we believe here, uh, those who, who work with me, we say, look, Jewish Americans, African Americans, quite rightly and quite nobly, get America to take a stand for their homelands. Uh, South Africa would not be on the verge of democracy if it weren't for African Americans in this country and I salute them for that and I joined them outside the South African embassy and I went to prison. I was the first Catholic priest to, to go to jail for the South African cause here in Washington and I salute them and I salute what the Jewish Americans have done for their homeland because without them Israel probably wouldn't exist. I am simply saying and I base my work and position on this principle. Irish Americans have a perfect right, indeed a duty, to get America to take a stand for human rights in Northern Ireland. And uh, I assume that means that Irish Americans uh, should join uh, Ted Kennedy or Patrick Monaghue in condemning IRA violence and condemning, we do. And condemning, and condemning the As abuse of human rights by terrorists in the do. IRA, in INLA, yes. and in the Protestant paramilitaries no. as well. I and when you talk about human rights, you always mean 
um, you always mean the British government is abusing human rights. Um, but you seem not to... No, 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 to, don't tell me but, what I do no, know. But you seem in ask your campaigning... But you seem in your campaigning no, no. always to concentrate on that and never to concentrate on, Look, the, on the rights of... Uh, I do not, I do or, not or deny it for a minute. If the audience thinks that Jewish groups and uh, Israel and Ireland and the, the, the Republic of Ireland, the United Kingdom, that they should all interfere in the affairs of our government? Who's ours? I think it would be very difficult well, no, to foreign rule policy. if this happened. Look, <laughs> all of these countries have signed international human rights agreement and universal declaration on human rights, which means one thing very simple. No country in the world can say from then on that the treatment of their own citizens is not the business of any other people. That's why we have a universal declaration of human rights. That's why I have a duty to take a stand for justice, not only in Ireland, but in South Africa, or in Chile, or in Honduras, or any place else in the world, and it's only an antediluvian, primitive type of philosophy that says, mind your own business, we can torture our people, and it's none of your rights, but out. That's okay, nonsense. <laughs> Hello, my name is Yuri Kambara from Marin County, California, and I was wondering how each of you felt about John Major and how he compares to Margaret Thatcher. Favorably, but that wouldn't be hard. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I, think, I think John Major is a very fine man. And I he certainly so. is, excuse me, he has a very uh, large act to follow in Margaret Thatcher because she had so much power. And remember that Margaret Thatcher was able to rule uh, as, she, as she did Not rule her government, rule. as she did be... <sighs> rude. Because I, you're a rude man. I think John Major because is a wimp. He is, no, he's a very well, fine man. And he's, I think he is very fair. And I think if there was an election today, possibly he would win again. Can, can I answer that Regardless question? Regardless of the. Uh, can I answer that question in terms of <laughs> Ireland? I, I think. What, uh, uh, both John Major and Albert Reynolds, the Irish Taoiseach, have, have the big problem of living in the shadow of their, their predecessors who were, in a sense, much bigger politicians than they are, Lady Thatcher in, in Britain and Charlie Hockey in, in the Republic. Um, one of the things that I suppose worries me about the present priest process is that I think they both see this as a chance of, uh, in a sense, redeeming their rather weak premierships. And I think that Albert Reynolds, for example, um, uh, was too keen too early to, pre to press the, pr the, 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 the present peace process. I think he raised expectations too high. For example, in October he was talking about peace before Christmas. Uh, and as we know, we're a long way off peace yet. Next question. Hi, my name is Daniel Boxer from John Bur oh, Burbank, California. And um, before we came here, we were talking about religion. And my question was, do you feel that if Northern Ireland secedes from the UK and becomes part of Ireland, that the Protestant will be persecuted by the Catholics? Yes, I would agree wholeheartedly with you. This is what would happen. And remember that uh, in the Republic of Ireland at one time was 90% uh, Roman Catholic, and that was in 1921. Today, it's 98% a Roman Catholic state. Uh, while the people in, Ulster, in Northern Ireland and in the United Kingdom, uh, they have uh, many advantages that they do not have in a, um, a theocratic state. 
uh, I think the, the, the Protestants of Northern Ireland would find it very difficult to join the Republic of Ireland. I think it's one of their fears, obviously. Um, but uh, I think that there's a lot of uh, misperception on each side about the other. Uh, you're dealing with, for example, a man like Dr. Ian Paisley, the firebrand uh, uh, preacher who's the head of the Democratic Unionist Party, who speaks in, in, in language which would be more appropriate for the 17th century, uh, who talks about the Pope being, uh, you know, the, the, the whore of Babylon. Um, I, the idea of the, uh, the, uh, the Southern Irish persecuting uh, Protestants because they're Protestant, I find uh, uh, absurd, but that is a genuine fear in Northern Ireland uh, amongst a, a sizable body of Protestants. And they, do, and they do look, they do look towards the, the South and see that there has been um, a falling off in the numbers of Protestants over the years in the Republic. Uh, you see, the, 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 the awful problem of the partition of Ireland is that it created two religious monoliths. In the south, it created a pan-Catholic state, 95% Catholic. In the north, it created a Protestant state for a Protestant people. Now, that British act institutionalized religious uh, divergence and difference. What I want to see in Ireland is religious pluralism. I, I, I think Maureen's antiquated anti-Catholic bigotry is deplorable. How dare you? Because nobody believes that, that Protestants would be persecuted. No, no enlightened person. Now, Paisley exploits people. I am supportive of integrated schools. You where just the, said that the Protestants the, would be persecuted in Southern they Ireland. Most certainly, That's bigotry. They, no, it's not. And what You're would the you call here. it? What, am, what would you call it then? Let me say that in Northern Ireland, the Catholic population is 45% of the population. But when it comes to voting, uh, those Why Catholic, excuse me, those Catholic, Catholic me politicians Maureen. only Maureen. get about Talk to me, Maureen. 28% of the vote. Maureen. The IRA gets 10% of the I'm vote. I'm not talking about and the IRA. So both the IRA and the nationalist politicians are both very minor parties Maureen, in Northern Ireland. My question Ireland. is, why do you also, think... Also, the churches in... Why in, do you think the, the Protestants would be persecuted in Southern Ireland? The, Please answer that question. I'll answer your question. The churches in... I'm answering a question here. The churches in Northern Ireland you are extremely... My, are extremely I, united. Why you would the Protestants be persecuted find, in Southern Ireland? You Maureen. will find that the... Would someone in they, the audience <laughs> ask her that question, no. please, and she'll answer it. Why, do you, why does she think the Protestants would be oppressed in Southern Ireland? Well, ask that question, foremost, please. First and foremost, they do not have schools. Oh, but, no. <laughs> yeah, why do you think Protestants would be oppressed? I know Paisley does, but do you think that the Protestants would be oppressed in Southern Ireland, and why? I think they would have a very difficult why? time. I think why? they would have a Who very difficult them? time in jobs. There, there wouldn't be any schools for them. How could the Republic of Ireland provide the excellent schools that Northern Ireland has? Northern why would Ireland they be has oppressed? the best schools in the in the United I Kingdom. I think she's ducking my question, isn't she? Results. Do you get that impression? I don't impression? want to answer you. Well, yes, she doesn't. To our next student question. <laughs> Go ahead. Hi, my name is Janie Orthy. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, this question is directed to any one of you. Um, I'm interested in um, knowing where the IRA and the UDA received their funds. Received they received most of their funds from their own racketeering uh, yes. practices in Northern Ireland uh, and in the Republic as well. Um, 
Uh, I assume you asked that question because you were reading the Harper's Magazine article, uh, which I think was in your information pack, or I was led to believe that. Uh, is that why you asked the question? No. Yep. He says, uh, <laughs> no. no. I mean, it, uh, the Harper's, I, I mentioned the Harper's because there's the implication in the article that everyone is doing this, or the paramilitaries on both sides are doing this because they're making lots of money. Uh, and uh, the article confuses um, two things, money and motivation. Uh, in terms of money, a paramilitary organization needs money to survive. The IRA probably needs between about 12 million and 15 million dollars to continue uh, running each year. They have to pay very small amounts, mind you, to their three, four hundred uh, um, frontline gunmen, to the 600 or so um, people around them who are giving extra support. They have to finance Sinn Féin, the headquarters in Belfast, Londonderry, Dublin. Uh, they have to buy explosives and arms. Uh, they have to uh, keep a general staff in Dublin. Uh, they have to finance active, uh, active missions abroad in, in Europe and Britain. And altogether that costs you, I mean, nigh on $15 million. In the same way, the Protestant paramilitaries need money to, um, to survive as well. And most of that comes from uh, racketeering, it comes from extortion, uh, it comes from protection money that they demand, uh, it comes from a fleet of taxi cabs that both sides uh, own in Belfast, it comes from gaming machines, and it comes from pubs and clubs. And some of it comes from, from legitimate organisations. In one sense, it's a bit like the Mafia, in that uh, you, know, you, begin, you begin illegitimately, and then you can put your money into legitimate organizations as well. Is any of that money received from outside? Of yes, I mean, um, it's been calculated and it's very hard to calculate how much money has come from Irish Americans. Um, the, there's one calculation I saw of about three to five million dollars since 1971 uh, has been provided by Irish Americans which has gone into uh, the Republican movement. Norade is the main collector of money over here. Um, Norade always claims that none of its money goes towards the purchasing of weapons in Northern Ireland and that the money only goes towards uh, welfare of the families of imprisoned IRA men. Uh, it is very hard to prove either, either way whether that money has directly gone to fund gun running, uh, the purchase of weapons. But what it does do is indirectly support the IRA because it allows the IRA to shift some of the money that they might use for those families, uh, the welfare money for the families of imprisoned IRA men. Um, back to purchasing weapons. Senator Edward Kennedy, uh, supported by Patrick Moynihan and Hugh Carey, uh, back in 77, 1977, issued a statement on St. Patrick's Day urging Americans not to contribute to organizations which were, which were linked in any way with paramilitary uh, groups in Northern Ireland. And Senator Edward Kennedy said that it shouldn't be on any Irish American's conscience uh, that their efforts or their dollars are leading to death in Northern Ireland. And I think that's worth, I agree with that uh, that's worth repeating. It shouldn't be on, that, on the head of any Irish American that he, he or she causes death in Northern Ireland. But equally, and legislatively in the first place, it shouldn't be on the hands of any English man and woman who paid tax dollars to keep up a sectarian, oppressive system in Northern Ireland, but financing and, and, and training and equipping the British Army. The, now, as regards, you had your say, as regards loyalist terrorism, who funds them? It mustn't be left out here that in many documented cases we have absolute proof, like Amnesty just wrote a report on it, about political killings in Northern Ireland. Many times when the loyalists take action, 
They're, they're, they're facilitated and equipped very often with the help of British intelligence and British Army. Now, pick up the, the most recent report by Amnesty International, just out, political killings in Northern Ireland where it cites the British government for collusion, for cooperating and helping and arming the Protestant terror gangs it, to kill Catholics. First of all, Father, it doesn't actually say that, the report. No. What, the, what the report condemns is a collusion between sections and elements in the Ulster Police Force and sections within the UDA of helping Protestant parents. And British intelligence. And, and British intelligence. Of, yes, but, well, no, that's but you what said, I said. No, you didn't. You said British intelligence and British government. We're talking about individuals in all these three organisations. Uh, no, that's an deniable. important. No, that's an important Look, distinction. Hunt, Father, the, the intelligence operates without the British government. Come on. Now you look. Join me in this, okay? I will admit that there's many problems from the Catholic side in Northern Ireland. I have denounced the IRA unequivocally. I want this gentleman to unequivocally denounce the, the murder and killing and the oppression and injustice conducted by Her Majesty's government in Northern Ireland. Will you do that? Uh, I'll answer that question if you allow me to. Will you condemn it? You uh, asked I, me, will I, you condemn the IRA? Will you condemn the British government? Right here, right now. Well, if now. you shut up for a second, no. Go ahead. you might hear my do reply. It. Do it. And my, reply, my reply is that in uh, Insight magazine, Washington Times recently, I wrote uh, that one of the most disturbing elements in the last few years in Northern Ireland has been the growth of the Protestant paramilitary groups and the collusion by elements with those groups, uh, by, by individuals within the UDR, the Ulster Defence Regiment, part of the British Army, uh, an Irish regiment, and in the RUC. What I will not do... And what do, about the government? What, what I will not do... The stalker affair. Let's, I'm not talking about Protestants. It's easy to condemn Protestants. No, no, do you condemn the British government for its human rights violations in Northern Ireland? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes, but... I didn't hear it. Yes or no? Hold on, if you let me finish. I will condemn, I will condemn the shadowy shoot-to-kill policy by sections within the Ulster Police Force and by sections within the British Army, of course I will. I think it's profoundly unhelpful. And I think it's immoral. Hold on, hold on. Father, you haven't read what I've written over no, the I'm years. No, we haven't. Of course, I, of, of, of course I do. Well, that's good. Um, I'm glad you of do course that. I do. But, and Maureen, see, will hold you on, no, Father, hold on. Please let, me, please let me finish. Okay, go ahead. Because one thing that you do not allow these people to understand is a whole dynamic of what is happening in Northern Ireland. One of, the, one of the tragedies, one of the awful patterns in this long tapestry of violence is that you have a terrorist organization who's a... Many. Who's a many terrorist many, organizations. including the British Army. Who's, and let's, just, let's just concentrate on the IRA for a second. You're doing that, that all is, along. I is, want you to introduce a new element here. We just have here. a couple of seconds left, so if, could, right. if I could ask you, you each for a final It closing. is. Yeah. The, the IRA cries crocodile tears. A terrorist organization in a democratic society wishes to provoke illiberal, harsh reactions by a democratic government. Unfortunately, the British government over the last 25 years has often and uh, all too often allowed that to happen. Um, the Guildford 4 case, the Birmingham 6 case, uh, were deeply damaging uh, to uh, Protestant interests in Northern Ireland, to British interests. Uh, in Ireland as well. Um, but the IRA must share its blame for the corrosion of the judicial system in Northern Ireland I'm sorry, and for provoking one, one, I accept over I would like to have very one little time saying one more that the IRA has its headquarters in the Republic of Ireland and from the Republic of Ireland they commit murder. 
across the border. And I haven't heard that mentioned tonight. And I thought you should know that. The violence of the British government, of the uh, IRA, the violence of every group who's using violence in Northern Ireland must cease. There cannot be peace for as long as the British government and the IRA and the Protestant loyalists paramilitaries commit violence. Okay, thank you very much for your comments here. We're totally out of time. Thank you for your questions and comments. Join us again next week at this time. Thank you.